that then the user starts to abuse it. They start seeking that in it, and they don't need the pain relief anymore, but they're seeking the euphoria, but then the body adapts and they start building a tolerance. And then they start graduating from the prescribed medicine to the heroin, the heroin, they need pretty soon something stronger. And now fentanyl's on the scene and fentanyl is that something that's stronger, but it's incredibly stronger. Welcome to Crime News Insider Podcast. This is Jorge Del Portillo, and with me as always is Lori Hoff. How are you doing, Lori? I'm doing well. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. Before we start, we're going to go into something a little bit different. The San Diego DA's Association runs this podcast, but we also have the San Diego Deputy DA's Association uh, Foundation. And with us to talk about that is our very own Deputy District Attorneys, Jennifer Kaplan and Gabrielle DiCaprio. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Great. Thanks for having us. Why don't you tell us a little bit about this foundation and the scholarship that's associated with it? Yeah, so the San Diego Deputy District Attorneys Foundation is a 501c3 that was founded in 2017. And the purpose and objective of the foundation is to contribute to youth in the local community and support programs and organizations and events that would benefit the local community. And under the umbrella of the foundation, one of the arms is the Claudine Ruiz Scholarship. So Claudine Ruiz was a deputy district attorney uh, for 14 years in our office. She was mainly in the family protection unit, and she was an incredible prosecutor, uh, a wonderful colleague and friend. Um, And unfortunately, she passed away in 2014. And so this scholarship was established in her memory and her honor to um, carry forth the objectives that she found important, that she valued, which was to support youth and students who want to pursue a career in criminal justice and perhaps are at a financial financial disadvantage, but show passion and uh, interest in any career in criminal justice. And I do want to say that there are ways to contribute to this scholarship and the foundation um, for people who are interested. The website where you can contribute is www.sddaa.net. And the way I remember that is triple D double A. Um, And you can donate there. You can also um, designate your Amazon smile account to a charity. Um, So every time you buy something on Amazon, you are actually contributing a small amount or Amazon is actually contributing a small amount to your designated charity. And the San Diego Deputy District Attorneys Foundation is one of the foundations um, that Amazon supports. So if you go to smile.amazon.com, you can designate this foundation and um, the money that is raised will go to support people receiving the scholarship and other future um, charity endeavors that we undertake. And so I was going to say, and the foundation has a, a scholarship, the money goes to his, towards that scholarship. And we have one of our, the very first recipient of that scholarship. Is that you, uh, Gabriella DiCaprio? You're the very first recipient of the yes. scholarship? Yes, I was very lucky and honored to be chosen back in 2019 as the first recipient for this scholarship. I actually had already been interning with the office. I was in the juvenile division the summer before. And then that fall, I came across the scholarship opportunity and I thought it'd be a great opportunity to learn more about the office and to apply. And I 
luckily was chosen. And it really showed me that this office values so much more than just our work experience and our scholastic experience, but our life experiences. And it shows us that, you know, the experiences we've overcome really help us to become better prosecutors in the future. And I think that this scholarship is a great opportunity for students who are interested in criminal law to learn more about it and to get opportunities to pursue that career in the future. And even just being able to get the award back in 2019 at the uh, deputy district attorney banquet and really see the big family that this office is to even have this scholarship and to honor a great prosecutor. I, I think it's an amazing opportunity. Oh, congratulations, Gabriella. We're proud of you. And what an honor it is to, to hold a scholarship in Claudine's uh, memory because she was such an amazing person. And I know we were all, as a family, just touched by her life and her presence in the office. So we are, we are definitely giving a big plug to um, everyone listening to donate and to help further um, this great cause. And the we're currently accepting applications right now at the deadline of September 10th. And the winner will be presented a $2,500 scholarship at the Deputy District Attorney Association Banquet. Fantastic. Well, thank you for coming on and telling us about it. That's a great way to honor Claudine's memory. And again, it, you could go to our website at sddaa.net. Double D triple, or I'm sorry, triple D double A dot net, and uh, associate that that Amazon account too. That's a, that's a great idea. When you're buying some children's books on uh, Amazon from our very own deputy district attorneys, that's right. <laughs> you can uh, donate in, in in that way through the Smile account or shampoo, like I did yesterday, because <laughs> I forgot to get it at the grocery store. Everything you can get on Amazon and donate as well. Jennifer Kaplan, Gabriella DiCaprio, thank you so much. Congratulations to you, uh, Gabriella, for being the first recipient and, and for being hired. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming. All right. So, Lori, uh, today's episode, we're going to be talking about fentanyl and the just the rise of fatal drug overdoses that have spiked in the United States over the past several years. I mean, it went it's from been all over the news. It's been crazy lately, especially recently in, in the news. I was looking at some stats. It went from 38,000 overdoses total in 2010 to 93,000 last year, according to the CDC. And what's driving it is really fentanyl, this powerful synthetic opiate. We saw recently there's an HBO documentary called Crime of the Century, which featured the San Diego DEA Task Force Team 10, the overdose response team. And we heard recently of a prominent political fundraiser named Ed Buck, who was found guilty of causing two overdoses and faces more than 20 years in federal prison. Uh, Lori, as a gang prosecutor, are you still seeing drugs being sold by some of these gang members? Definitely. And, you know, really what struck me or what's been striking me in the news lately is how it is affecting people um, from all walks of life across class uh, divides. It, it affects actors. It affects, you know, um, those that are living on the street. It affects our children and our grandparents. I mean, the, the impact is felt, I think, across across the board. Yeah, absolutely. So with us to discuss this deadly trend is the Major Narcotics Division Chief, James Fontaine of the San Diego DA's office. James Fontaine is a prosecutor with the San Diego DA's office where he has worked for the past 21 years 
He is the chief of the major narcotics division and previously worked for over a decade in the gang prosecution unit where he specialized in cross-border cartel violence. James was awarded prosecutor of the year by the San Diego DA's association in 2012 for his part in the prosecution of members of Los Palios, a Mexican cartel splinter group from the Ariano Felix organization. As chief of the major narcotics division, James supervises a team of 14 lawyers, along with several investigators and support staff, whose mission, or at least in part, is to target high-level drug traffickers, including dealers who furnish fentanyl or substances containing fentanyl that results in a user's overdose and death. James Fontaine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jorge. Thank you, Lori. Happy to be here. Good to have you. Can you tell us uh, what is fentanyl and why is it causing so many overdoses in the United States? Yeah, so fentanyl is as you stated, a synthetic opioid. But when you think opioid, opioid, I would say, think painkillers. That's really what we're talking about. Um, and traditionally, before fentanyl really became as known as it is now, we were talking about Vicodin, oxycodone, even morphine, methadone. Those things are all in the opioid class of drugs. And fentanyl is one of those. It's It's different in the sense that it's completely made in a lab. And that's why it's referred to as a synthetic opioid. There's other naturally occurring opioids, uh, like morphine is is one, uh, derived from the poppy plant. And there's medical uses, medically approved and supervised and highly controlled uses for opioids, including fentanyl. It used to be that when you would hear about fentanyl use in the medical setting, it was, and it still is, if you're having major surgery, it's quite often you're going to be given some fentanyl to recover from that surgery. Uh, sometimes cancer-patients who are in prolonged chronic pain, they're prescribed fentanyl, and that comes in patch form. Sometimes it's in those lozenges or lollipops, fentanyl lollipops. But that's very different from the illicit fentanyl that we are now seeing throughout the community and that is resulting in all these overdose deaths throughout the country and, and even internationally. I mean, in many parts of the world. People are dying in extraordinary numbers. And there's a reason for that. And, and one I kind of alluded to with the, the medically controlled and supervised fentanyl, it's, it's highly regulated, evenly distributed throughout the medication. And usually it's time released. Like the patches only go into the body over an extended period of time. Same thing with the lollipops. The, the, after surgery, it's controlled very strictly by the doctors in terms of the administration to the patients. But when we look at illicit or the uncontrolled fentanyl in the mark coming into our markets, we're talking about labs that are mostly not in the United States, um, largely still from China. They're transporting large amounts of fentanyl or fentanyl precursors. It's often going into Mexico. And then in Mexico, it's then being transported across the border into the United States. Uh, and here in San Diego County, we're the number one, the largest port of entry in the in the world, the busiest. So it'll come through San Diego up to LA throughout the rest of the country, but it's not regulated. And it's coming in forms like uh, fake pills. There's painkillers like oxycodone often come in tablets on the street. You're going to, people refer to them as M30s. They're counterfeit. They're slightly different, but to the untrained eye, they can look very much like a legitimate prescribed oxycodone pill. So it's it's coming in in a form of a M30 pill that is made to look like an oxycodone pill? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's coming in. I mean, we're getting seizures at our borders in the thousands of pills at a time. Uh, it, it, it's extraordinary how much of this 
stuff. The fentanyl is crossing into our borders in pill form, but also in powder form, too. And I think in addition to the unregulated nature of fentanyl when it's coming through the illicit market, it's the fact that it like in the pill form, if we think about those M30s, because it's unregulated, you get what we call hot spots in these pills. And that means if you, you think of one analogy I, I've heard and I think is pretty good is the chocolate chip cookie analogy. And if you're baking cookies, you might have, have a tray of chocolate chip cookies and one cookie will have four chips in it and the other one might have eight or 10 chips in it. And they're not placed in the same place within that cookie. It varies throughout the entire batch. Well, think of those chocolate chips as fentanyl. Because what we're getting across the border is a substance. Usually uh, the fentanyl itself is maybe, it's usually under 9% of the substance is actual fentanyl. The rest of it is some other agent. So it could be anything, baking soda, sugars, all kinds of starches, different things. But then where does that fentanyl end up when it's pressed into a pill or when it's consumed as a powder? We can't predict that. No one can predict it. And so- I wanted to, I wanted to follow up on that with you because I think when- we first started hearing about fentanyl, it was like a surprise to people. People were getting it and they didn't know that that's what they were taking. Um, and then now I feel like it's transitioned and maybe you can confirm that, but people are actually seeking out fentanyl specifically because it is so, so powerful as a drug. And, you know, like you were saying that just that one pill can be broken up you know, you can overdose on just the one pill. Is that, is that what's happening now? That's absolutely what's happening. There's a lot to unpack. And even the, just that one question, um, when you think back to like the legitimate painkillers, like morphine, when I think morphine, I remember the old war movies, right? And that's the yeah. guy on the battlefield. He's got catastrophic injuries and medic, you know, they scream and someone runs up and they jab him with a needle. Well, they're shooting him full of morphine and it was effective yeah. and that's legitimate. That was happening. Well, then when right. you, look at, you can you can still die from morphine. You absolutely, uh, morphine. right. People can overdose and and do from morphine as well. And then when you think about fentanyl and the potency, which you, re, you just referenced, it's one hundred times stronger than that morphine that was being used. Um, and then when you you think of heroin, right? And heroin, we all know heroin can be incredibly dangerous. And when I think heroin, I normally think of the the Hollywood portrayed junkie with an elastic band around the arm and needle and they're dead in the bathroom. Right. And, right. and so that heroin overdose, which is still common, unfortunately, well, heroin is, is just a semi-synthetic opioid that was derived from morphine to make it stronger and enter the body faster. And well, now we have fentanyl and fentanyl is still 50 times stronger than that heroin. Wow. And so it's incredibly powerful. It's, it goes to, in effect, incredibly quickly. When you look at dosage amounts, what, what we've learned is that it takes as little as two milligrams of fentanyl to cause an overdose. Now, that's typically for someone that has no tolerance whatsoever for an opioid, right, a pain reliever. If that would be like me or you or, or someone who, let's say, is abusing a different type of drug, uh, a stimulant. And all of a sudden they use something containing fentanyl for the first time, as little as two milligrams of that stuff. That's two grains of salt. Huh. As little as that can kill a person. Now, two milligrams. Two milligrams. It's incredibly small. Now, if you're a regular user, let's say you've started with oxycodone, legitimate oxycodone. And this is the opioid epidemic we're talking about, right? Pain prescription, legitimate pain prescription. Maybe you get hooked on it. it the thing that the, the opioids is they relieve pain but they also have a euphoric quality to them. 
They give you this feeling of euphoria and pleasure that then the user starts to abuse it. They start seeking that and they don't need the pain relief anymore, but they're seeking the euphoria, but then the body adapts and they start building a tolerance. And then they start graduating from the prescribed medicine to the heroin, the heroin, they need pretty soon something stronger. And now fentanyl's on the scene and fentanyl is that something that's stronger, but it's incredibly stronger. What about bringing it home to San Diego? How does this, how is this affecting our community here? It's devastating our community. It it truly is. It's not an overstatement. Uh, Every week uh, as the chief of the major narcotics division, I, I get an update from Team 10 that Jorge alluded to, and they're a a DEA-led task force, and they've got agents from the DEA, from the San Diego Police Department. Our own office contributes an investigator to it. There's HSIs involved. That team works together to to investigate all fentanyl-related overdose deaths that happen within the city of San Diego. And then they'll assist in areas outside of the city, but primarily within the city. Well, I get a report every single week of the actions of of that prior week. And I'm reading all the time of the number of deaths that are happening. Give us some numbers. Wow us yeah. with the stats. Yeah, and, and I'll wow you. And, and it's, the, the, I guess the numbers, they'll speak for themselves, but it's, it's tremendously high. So when you look at, let's go back to give you an idea of the progression of fentanyl within our community, just in San Diego County. 2016, we had 33 fentanyl related overdose deaths. 33 of them. Not many. many. In 2017, that number jumped to 84. Then in 2018, we were at 92, a slow progression, right? And then in 2019, we jumped to 152 overdose deaths. But then 2020 hit, and we were at 461 fentanyl-related overdose deaths. Oh, my gosh. More than triple. More than triple. More than triple. And so, look, I... I talk to the chief medical examiner, Stephen Campman, quite often. Yeah. He's on some fentanyl working groups that I belong to as well. He tracks all these numbers and he's looking at all kinds of demographics and stats of who's affected, um, meaning, you know, what genders, what ages, um, and then just the, the, the raw numbers of people who are dying. And while the numbers for this year, of course, they're, they're not finalized, he was able to give me some numbers for the first six months of 2021. And so we look at 2020, which that's that banner year, right? That's that 461 overdose deaths. That's in San Diego County alone, 461 deaths, fentanyl related. Uh, So within the first six months of that 2020 year, there were 156 overdose deaths. 156 of them were in the first six months. Within the first six months of this year, we were at 378. Oh my gosh. So we're looking like we may double last year's. Maybe. We'll see. Oh, my gosh. The hope, right, is that, that something happens. Uh, there, There's this big push that's going out there to educate the public that we're involved in. And I, I know we're going to talk about that here probably, I assume, soon. Well, let's, let's talk about that because I know our our district attorney, Summer Stephan, was recently involved in it in the um, campaign hosted a big event. And I thought it was really impactful when you saw all of the the signs, the 970 signs that were laid out across the lawn. And you, you saw that that was representative of each person that lost a life. I thought that was really, really powerful. Yeah. What was that? That was the um, opioid awareness event or international opioid awareness day that Summer Stephan was at talking about these overdoses. Is that right? Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. Uh, it is staggering. And I think that was 
I agree. Incredibly powerful when you can put a visual to it. And when I, it's incredibly powerful for me. I, I've said to people, man, I wish I could, I could send these reports that I read on a weekly basis, put them on the news, right? Put them, put, get, get them in front of the public so they can see what I'm seeing. And I think a, a big, something that really needs to happen is the destigmatization of this addiction. It's so easy. Like in, even in my, when I shared with you my, what I think of when I think of heroin overdoses, it's the junkie with the, the band around the arm, right? I think people right. still tend to think of that in terms of all these people who are overdosing with drugs, that they're just junkies. But what we've seen, what I see all the time is that, like what you said, Laura, you alluded to it. They are from all ages. They are from all walks of life. They are famous people and they are people you will never hear of. And everyone in between are dying from this. I read reports of seven-year-old brother goes into a bathroom and finds his older brother dead on the toilet. Oh. Mom walks into oh. a bedroom in the morning and finds her 18-year-old son dead on the bed. Uh, it's a roulette wheel. You never know when it's going to hit and you get that part of that pill, that hot spot of that pill, or you ingest that, that portion of the powder where there's too much fentanyl and you die. And, and you had asked about the change, right? And, and there's absolutely, absolutely true that early on with fentanyl, at least here in San Diego County, we saw people were aware of fentanyl and actively seeking to avoid it. At some point they were unaware and then they were actively seeking to avoid it. They're asking the, the source, their source of supply, right. their dealer, hey, this stuff is clean, right? This stuff doesn't have yeah. fentanyl, right? They don't want something that powerful. I mean, that's going to kill them. Absolutely. And they knew because people were dropping. People were dying. People they knew were overdosing. So they were taking steps to avoid having fentanyl. And then the sad reality is what you've alluded to is that now people are actually more often, not I wouldn't say more often, but are often seeking out fentanyl in the substances they are ingesting. It's tragic. And who knows exactly why that is? One obvious answer is because it's stronger, right? And for the people who have developed that tolerance, they're seeking more and more. And just the next logical yeah, step up. Their prior stuff is not going to uh, get them that that same feeling that fentanyl will. And now they're hooked. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. So tell us, you know, let's say you are watching your friends suffer from an overdose you know, you call 911. Well, first of all, can I get in trouble for calling 911 if, you know, if I'm a drug user and my friend is uh, suffering from an overdose? How does that work? That's a, that's a great question. And there's something in California called the Good Samaritan Law. And it's actually many states have enacted the Good, a Good Samaritan Law. And ours is one that is designed specifically to encourage people who are witnessing an overdose to call 911. The, so if you're there, let's say you have uh, two or more people that are using together and one person starts to overdose on fentanyl or any drug, what that Good Samaritan law is designed to do is to have you call 911 without the fear of being arrested yourself. Let's say you're in like minor, you have possessions, personal use amounts of drugs. Right. Maybe you're under the influence yourself at that very moment. And you're afraid that if the medics come, then the police are going to come and then I'm going to get arrested. You just walk away. Right. And that person dies. You don't call 911. Maybe you try to save the life, but if you would have called medics, maybe they would have been able to help. So the whole goal here is to save those lives. Yeah. And 
get away from the stigma of these people being worthless members of community. It's not true. We're seeing them from all walks of life. Give them that opportunity to turn their life around. Let's save those lives. And so the Good Samaritan Law is just one other tool that hopefully will help people pick up that phone, make that phone call, and not be afraid that they're going to get arrested themselves. So minor possession, you're under the influence, maybe you have a pipe on you, that small level stuff you're not going to get in trouble. Please call 911 if you're with someone who's overdosing. One of the other things that I saw was that we were educating the public a little bit better on Narcan and and the effective uses of it. Can you talk about that, James? Yeah. So Narcan is, uh, it can be incredibly effective and it's, uh, naloxone is the actual drug. The trade name is Narcan. Uh, it comes in different forms the, you can get it like in the injectable, like the needle form most commonly now and widely available, becoming more widely available is the nasal spray with opioids like fentanyl. What happens is they, once you ingest that fentanyl, it, it all grafts onto all the opioid receptors in your brain and different parts of your body. And with too much of that fentanyl, it then can overload your system it shuts down your body's natural breathing response. It lowers your blood pressure. And without the breathing, it can slow it or stop it, send you into a coma, ultimately die. And so what, what Narcan does actually is able to get onto those opioid receptors and block the fentanyl, block the opioid, and kind of like a wall, right? It's preventing the fentanyl, and it can actually reverse the effects. Some people will come out of it within seconds after being administered Narcan, an, uh, an overdose that would have been fatal can be reversed right. and they come out feeling uh, normal, should still seek some medical care, but the good chance they're going to live. Sometimes if they've used too much, that it's Narcan is not enough. It's, it, it helps. You should always try it. And sometimes you may have to use more than one administration of Narcan. And I've seen cases where they've done several and unfortunately hasn't been enough. But right now it's the best tool we have to save lives is a quick administration of Narcan. And that's, you need to recognize that an overdose is happening. And a lot of times that goes unnoticed. Uh, Sometimes because people don't know what those signs are. Sometimes because users are doing it alone. Uh, Maybe it's their shame. There's embarrassment. They are the person locked in the bathroom doing it alone. Or even if they're with a group, it's the other people thinking, oh, they're just sleeping. They're just snoring. There's this telltale sign of a deep snore, a rough, ragged snore. That's a sure sign. You look at the colors of their lips, right? They turn blue if you're light-skinned. If, if, if you're a dark-skinned person, then uh, maybe a grayish tint to your lips. And, and that's telling you there's a lack of oxygen going on there. The snoring, the discoloration, pinpoint pupils in the eyes. That's an overdose. So administer the Narcan. And the good thing to know is if, if it's not an overdose, the Narcan is not going to hurt them. But the other thing you got to realize is if you're alone and you have Narcan, it's not going to do you any good because you're not going to be administering it to yourself. Yeah, you need someone else there to, to administer it. Yeah, because once, once you start down that overdose path, you don't have that frame of mind that I'm, oh, I feel it coming. I'm going to give myself Narcan and reverse it. It's too late. I recently heard a story, and I'm sure, James, you can relate to plenty of these stories and watch them come through, but it was a 22 year old girl who had only been on the streets for six months. And she did the started with Oxy because of a car accident and then moved on to fentanyl and was so addicted to fentanyl. She'd been living on the street for six months and she had overdosed 11 times already on fentanyl um, and should have died in, in all of those cases should have died. Are there any other 
things that we can be doing that that we should be looking out for? Any other messages that you can uh, give our listeners? Uh, that is such a tough question because I've struggled with with that as well. And, and uh, we we will continue in our education efforts to let people know that fentanyl is out there, to let them know that fentanyl is even your dealer oftentimes won't know that the substance that they, he or she is providing to you contains fentanyl because some people will say, well, I trust my dealer. I've known my dealer. I went to school with my dealer. My dealer does not have a financial interest in killing me, right? They want, they they want to keep me alive. Uh But the reality is that a lot of this stuff is being cut way before it makes it to your local dealer and they don't even know. And so it really is that, that gamble that you are taking. And then for the people that are seeking it out, the struggle that I've had is, well, what kind of message can I deliver? What can we deliver as an office and as a community to those people who are struggling when they themselves have seen their friends die? What message would be more powerful than that? I don't know. I do know that what needs to happen, or at least what I've heard would benefit this situation tremendously is the development of some form of safe, quick, effective detox for people that have opioid addiction. And right now people are terrified to go through withdrawals. It feels like they're going to die. Um, And they're afraid they can't afford it. They're afraid they, they can't get medically supervised detox. And when they start getting sick, it is a sickness beyond anything we've ever felt. And so mm. it's too easy for them to score that fentanyl just to stay well, just to not get that sickness. And so that's why they return. That's why I'm convinced they can lose 11 friends. And that sounds like that's incredible, right? We, it's hard for us to even imagine that that would be us. Any rationally minded person would say, look, I've lost 11 friends. Uh, there's no way I'm going to use this drug because I'm next. But the problem is addiction is not rational. Yeah. Right. They cannot obviously control it. So we need to help them. We need to get more uh, partner more with treatment providers, with the doctors that we're working with, with law enforcement, with our own approach in our office of what do we do with the users and the addicts and even some of the drug dealers. Right. Maybe a lot of them have their own substance abuse issues. We can't arrest our way out of the problem. We can't lock people up enough of them. There will always be more drug dealers. There's something drastically needs to change in the demand for the drug and the treatment. We still have to hold people accountable that are bringing that poison into the community and readily selling it. Um, Especially the ones, and unfortunately we still have those, that are intentionally deceiving the users as to what's in the substance they are consuming. So what is is your division, before we wrap up, but what is your division doing to uh, address some of these drug overdoses that are happening here in, in San Diego? Well, we are a prosecuting agency, right? And, and so in my division, one of the main focuses is just that, it's prosecution. So we investigate the dealers who supply the deadly substance. Uh, we, we evaluate for appropriate charges and file those when they're there. Uh, we prosecute those cases. But like I just said, we, it's, that's not something that, that ultimately is going to fix this global problem or even this if we narrow it down just to San Diego County and those numbers we talked about, it's prosecution alone is not the answer. It's just one piece of the problem. So we're doing all kinds of things. We're, we're partnering with those doctors. We're partnering with the treatment providers and law enforcement agencies. We have the summits that you've talked about. We're doing media releases, truly trying our best to educate students directly, 
summits at different schools. Not too long ago, I was out handing out flyers with a free backpack giveaway at a South Bay school that was talking about the dangers of fencing and how deadly it was, right? So we're educating students, their parents, the teachers, community members, and then hopefully just just through that, working with uh, the courts, working with our own collaborative justice partners that we can find a way to, to address it on all fronts. That's really smart. And thank you for all the work you're doing. It's really, um, you're, you're right. We are one piece of a bigger puzzle. And the, the more we can partner and create diversification to get to get the problem solved, the better. Thank you so much. And if you ever want to do some more research about the about the opioid epidemic or what opioids are, I know the DA's office set up uh, a website called San Diego Opioid project.org. You could go there and learn about how we're trying to lower the numbers of opioid related overdoses. James Fontaine, thank you so much for joining the podcast. We really appreciate your time and your dedication to the public. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure being here. That was really depressing. Thanks, James. (laughs) You know what? And in order to switch gears and to cut that, that depression, we always end the show on a light note. We look at the laws on the books where three are real, one is fake, and you as an expert lawyer have to guess which one is the fake. Are you guys ready? I'm ready. Uh, I'm starting to dread these. I know. Two in a row, Lori. Let's see if we can break that streak. Two in a row means what? She got them? Oh, she, she, uh, lost. she, lost, she lost two in a row. I was on a good streak. Okay. She was on a very good streak. Okay, so here we go. A, in Washington, D.C., it's illegal to surf while under the influence of drugs or alcohol. You can see this is kind of a drug theme for you, James. B, in Idaho, it's illegal to be present where illegal drugs are being manufactured. C, in South Carolina, it's illegal to lick, kiss, or bite a cane toad or to engage in the act of toad smoking. And D, in the city of Bettendorf, Iowa, it is illegal to inhale jankum, the fermented fumes from fecal matter and urine. So this is all uh, various drugs. James, since you're a guest, I'll allow you to go first. Thanks. Okay. So in Washington, D.C., it's illegal to surf while under the influence of drugs or alcohol. Uh, I'm guessing that's true. I'm guessing that surfing in Washington, D.C. alone is illegal. Uh, (laughs) Surfing on the Potomac? Yeah. Uh, In Idaho, it's illegal to be present where illegal drugs are being manufactured. Sounds legit, right? It sounds reasonable. So I'm not too shocked by that one. In South Carolina, it's illegal to lick, kiss, or bite a cane toad or to engage in the act of toad smoking. So I'm really hoping that that one is is the fake one because over Labor Day weekend, we had a cane toad barbecue. (laughs) I was barbecuing cane toad for the whole family. And so uh, in the city of Bettendorf, Iowa, it's illegal to inhale gencom fermented fumes from fecal matter and urine. Um, That has to be fake, right? Everyone does that. Uh, So I'm going to go with D. It's fake. D, the the Jacob one. Okay. Lori? This is, again, you've gotten really good at this. I am getting much better. (laughs) You really are. Um, I feel like it's a toss-up between C and D. I just don't know, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna probably continue my streak and pick C as the fake. 
All right. See the South Carolina licking or kissing or biting a cane toad. That means you all agree B in Idaho. It's illegal to be present, just mere presence where illegal drugs are being manufactured. You all think this is real. And this is a law on the books. Section 37-2732D. It's unlawful for any person to be present at or on the premises of any place where he knows illegal controlled substances are being manufactured or held for distribution. So sometimes uh, in California, you know, it's not just mere presence. You have to do something else, but that's why I kind of threw it out there, but you guys sniffed it up. Good job. A, you all agree, is also a law in the books, which is in Washington, D.C., it's illegal to surf while under the influence of drugs or alcohol. Where are you going to go surfing in D.C.? That's what I want to know. You all think this is a law on the books, and this one is real. It is wow. It is a D.C. Municipal Regulations, Title 19, Section 1026. No person shall operate or use any vessel or use any water skis, aquaplanes, surfboard, or similar device while under the influence of alcohol, marijuana, or drugs. So, or hallucinogens, which is a drug. So there you go. James, I know you're a surfer, so don't go surfing in DC. Well, you know, well, you can, just not under the influence. Yeah. Just don't That's true. do it while licking cane toad. That's true. <laughs> right. And that brings us to C, I'm sorry, uh, let's go with, that brings us to D, in Bendorf, Iowa, it is illegal to inhale jankum. The fermented fumes of fecal matter and urine. Have you ever heard of jinkum before today? Never. Okay. Well, jinkum is a real thing. And James thinks this one is the fake. Lori thinks this one is real. And this one is real. It's a law on the books. In the city ordinance, it's a 5-5C-2 inhaling toxic vapors. Now, it doesn't say jinkum. It says no person shall knowingly smell or inhale the fumes of toxic vapors, whether synthetic or organic, for the purposes of causing a condition of euphoria. And the reason they included the word organic was because there was this internet uh, rumor of people huffing jankum, which is the fermented fecal matter of, of your, I'm sorry, fermentation of fecal matter and urine. That is super I, disgusting. That is very, very gross. Apparently it was an internet hoax that this was the mm-hmm. thing to get high. So a lot of kids were doing it. Uh, I remember hearing it when I worked in the juvenile division in 2010, they caught someone with it, but apparently it was uh. an internet hoax and you can't get high from it, but it did cause this city. Um, there was a, a police bulletin in 2007 in Florida that kind of got distributed talking about this, this issue. And so they outlined it in Bettendorf, Iowa. I looked and it's still on the books. Um, so that all means that in C is the fake in South Carolina, it is illegal to lick, kiss, or bite a cane toad or to engage in the act of toad smoking. Now, some toads, you cannot they produce a, a venom where you can lick it and it, it gives, it gets you high. It's a hallucinogen. Also, uh, I went to UC Santa Cruz and that the rumor was that was the same with banana slugs. So, oh, really? Not that I ever did it. I'm just saying that that was a rumor. <laughs> yeah. that sure, How many sure. banana slug smoothies did you drink? <laughs> <laughs> Lori has now admitted to two crimes that she has committed <laughs> coming into the United States without the passport and uh, eating a banana slug s- smoothie. Um, but yes, so some, I was looking for laws cause I know some of these toads have this venom that you could get high from in California. It's illegal to possess the actual venom 
it's a, a toad called Buffo, Buffo Marinus, and there's also the cane toad that could produce this as well. But this was a proposed law in South Carolina that got shut down. Section two also said that the provisions of this section do not apply to members of the toad family, which means toads can still kiss each other. So that's good. Uh, but you, good. <laughs> Lori, congratulations. You, you stuck it on out. top again. This one was very tricky. So, yeah, uh, Lori. No shame in, in losing James. That means my family is safe from the cane toad barbecue I have. Yes. yes. <laughs> you did not admit to a crime, so that's good. Well, James Fontaine, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Uh, and I really appreciate you coming on. I didn't I didn't put you to sleep. You're still awake. So all is right in the world. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you both. This was fun. Yes. Congratulations, Lori, on winning. You're 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 turning it around, even though you're admitting <laughs> to crimes left and right. Yeah. It was, it's, it's a bright spot in a very dark episode. What do you win? So I'll take it. What's the prize? She gets an unbarbecued cane toad to take home. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Again, you can uh, check the show notes for the links. Um, donate to our foundation page at sddaa.net and uh, donate to the Claudine Ruiz uh, scholarship or just to the foundation and set up your Amazon account. Lori, thank you as always for doing the podcast. Thank you. And until next time, we'll see you on the Crime News Insider Podcast. expressed on this podcast are solely of the speakers and do not reflect the views of the Deputy DA's Association nor the District Attorney. Questions and comments can be submitted through our website at sddaa.net. Remember to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at San Diego DDAs. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. One, two,